Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, and Happy New Year, Peter. Happy New Year. Happy belated birthday. I'm trying ha- not to advertise my birthday socially, but thank you for that. Well, anytime. Well, I feel like this is always a, a really intense time of year for a lot of people, a lot of goals, a lot of resolutions, a lot of changes coming, and, you know, the holidays are over, and I think that usually means back to semi-normal training for a lot say, of people. Does it, does it mean changes, or does it mean like we're pretending like there's going to be changes? Well, this year is a particularly good one, I think, because we had the, uh, you have New Year fell on a Sunday, so it was kind of that debate of, do you start on Jan 1, or do you wait till Monday to, to start whatever your new regime was going to be? Today is the answer. Start today. That's that's a great answer. Okay, so start today. Uh, and a lot of people are, in fact, starting today. We are now, uh, I think, actually almost to the day, six months out from Unbound. Uh, I was not prepared for that question. I really struggle. I was just on a, a consult with a client, and I had to count it out. I really struggle with the months to things, because, you know, you have to do, like, January to February is, is one month, and then February to March is another month. Um but yeah, I think you're correct. And we do have the Unbound plan as live and updated uh, for this year. So it's live on the Training Peak store. So we'll link to that. Uh, and then, of course, if you're not doing Unbound, uh, the indoor base training has been going really well. Uh, base training plan has been uh, selling really well. It's people have been enjoying it. So this is made for you Zwifters and indoor trainers. Uh, Which is a lot of people this time of year. Yeah. So I think what I really like about the indoor base training plan is it's not just trying to cram a normal outdoor base training thing in onto the trainer, which I think is a, a mistake a lot of people make because your hours on the trainer are just not going to be right. yeah, the same. You, you read the Joe Friel book, which I love, or, or any classic thing, and, and you see more volume and more of this. And, and I don't know if that's the tool's not great for that. You know, it tries to encourage you, the plan does, uh, to get outside and do your, your volume outside as well. But it tries to, this is for busy people, right? This is who we work with. Uh, and it also tries to avoid the, the almost opposite pitfall of just intensity all the time because you're indoors and you only want to be on there for you know 40 or 60 minutes uh you know there's, there's a balance in the middle there mm-hmm. all right so whether you're doing unbound coming up in june or you just want to get a kickstart on your training and your indoors head over to the show notes or to consummateathlete.com to grab those training plans all right and if you set a resolution to run more in 2023 or you're you're even a little run curious or let's say you were born to run you could say that uh we have author chris mcdougall back on i think for the third time so he actually might be edging up right alongside of stacy sims who we also just had on the podcast again uh, along with coach eric orton who uh, folks who read born to run might remember as chris's coach in the book in the original born to run well they've come out together with born to run two uh so naturally uh because it's born to run two uh we had to make a lot of Fast and the Furious references in the uh, Which probably, opening. if we have six listeners, you know, probably one gets this this reference. But yeah, the, the Fast and the Furious is dear to our heart. Hearts, <laughs> I guess. Do we have one heart? I guess we're, yeah, I don't know. Hearts, whatever. Anyway, uh, anyway, this episode is awesome. We talk all about running form, and it's it's such an interesting concept. The whole is there a correct running form, and we definitely get into a bit of a debate on it. We talk through their their leanings on the topic. We talk through the off-sighted barefoot shoe craze that was, I'm going to say, inspired by the original Born to Run, uh, and talk about honestly how how that book. The, there's just so many interesting things that got picked up out of that book. And I think as I'm reading a couple other nonfiction books, I, I think so much about what get what takeaways come from these books, right? Like you're reading, for example, I'm reading right now a book on breathing. And the thing that everyone seems to be taking from that book is this taping your mouth at night. But that is such a minor part 
of the book. And I think the same thing happened with Born to Run. Everyone just clamored for these barefoot shoes or signed up for these ultra races without actually just getting into running and running consistently and running with friends and running while smiling. And that was really the underlying point of the whole book. So he really underscores that again in Born to Run 2, mm-hmm. which is more of a training manual. Yeah, the community and the, uh, I don't know what you call it. I wanted to say errands, but the would you, utility, I guess, of, yeah. of, of bipedal, you know, walking, running, hiking. That's, that's what was sort of what struck me as well uh, from Born to Run. And in our talks with uh, Chris as well in these, the previous two episodes were certainly around that. He basically was one of the people who convinced me to that getting a dog was a great idea because it, it really changed exercise and movement because now you had to consider this other being uh, who had different feelings and couldn't you know communicate with you as clearly as a person. And so I was I thought this was a great training idea. Uh, <laughs> that still remains to be seen, but uh, here we go. I, I told him after our last chat, I tried to convince you we needed a donkey, but we ended up with the dachshund. Uh, They're so. very similar in a lot of ways. <laughs> Yeah, so this is just such a fun conversation and very practical if you're thinking about getting into running or even if you're just trying to kind of find that joy in whatever endurance sport you're doing. I think this is a great one to listen to. Super. And before we get into the episode, then we have our show sponsor, uh, which is great because it keeps the podcast free and and the new fancy mics we have and everything else. So thank you to them. Yes, that is AG1 by Athletic Greens. So this marks over a year since we've been doing Athletic Greens AG1 every single morning. I really, really love having it as part of my routine. I personally think it tastes delicious, but more important than that, it's got all of the important stuff are vitamins, minerals, probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens, and of course, greens. So it's sort of your one-stop shop for your supplement. And I think right now, it's the new year. Everyone's kind of thinking about all these different habits they want to change, all these different goals they want to set. This is such a simple, easy one to integrate into your daily routine, forces you to drink a bunch of water in the morning. It's the one thing. You don't need the whole cabinet of supplements to do it. That's right. Well, and we're looking, you know, again, at these New Year's or these goals or they're trying to be a little healthier, uh, you know, that that just morning routine can be quite powerful and again sustainable over time if you can see yourself you know drinking a glass of water in the long term versus a more extreme diet right this might be the first step if you have uh you know you do want to get to some extreme diet eventually but easing towards that um you know one of the things i like the most here is you know that it's very clean supplement we talked about the nsf uh rating as well so we know that there isn't stuff in it that we don't want to be in it uh, especially if you're concerned about things like doping tests uh, there's also it's gluten-free paleo keto friendly you know so all that stuff you want or don't want uh, and then seven thousand five star reviews right it's got that uh you know backing that social backing yeah and you know Honestly, it's just become such a favorite part of my routine. And especially around this time of year, the past couple of weeks, I've never been so glad to have it because frankly, I really like my cinnamon rolls and really leaning into the holidays. So definitely have enjoyed having it. And if you're anything like me and you're like, okay, time to get back to some more vegetables, some greens, etc. all important to add back into your diet. But adding this also kind of gives you just that little extra, uh, which I think is, is just really, really helpful. So definitely think about checking it out in 2023 if you haven't already and to make it easy athletic greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin d plus five free travel packs bonus if you are going on any kind of training vacation or anything like that the travel packs super convenient and you can get that with your first purchase all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash molly h because consummate was too hard to spell so that's athleticgreens.com backslash molly h to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. So with that said, let's get into my chat with Chris and Eric. Enjoy. Consummate Athlete Podcast here with the authors of Born to Run 2. We've got Chris McDougal and Eric Orton. Welcome to the podcast, guys. I'm so excited you're here. Hi, Molly. I'm excited. I'm excited because I need to instantly figure out why you love the Fast and Furious series. I'm going right to it. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're going right <laughs> just, yeah, the hard hitting questions here. You know, it's, it's one of those things I couldn't actually tell you because I wasn't into them in high school. And then when I was like in bike racing, a team of cyclists, the United Healthcare team was staying at my house, like 
um, for a race in New Jersey, like 10 years ago and fast five had just come out and they're like, we got to go see it. So I was in the movie theater with these like crit racing, like bike nerds and just having like the best time ever. And since then I've been just obsessed with the movies and I can't explain why. If I, if I had known that, I think I would have made a different graphic for Born to Run 2. I would have had like a devil horns, like Born to Run 2. <laughs> well, you notice like that's the one thing I, I picked up. I'm like, somehow I just like scanned the entire book and just got to the, the bottom where you mentioned Fast and the Furious yeah. in the acknowledgments. That's the only thing that caught my eye. <laughs> You're like, I got to go back and reread this book. Might be better than I thought. Honestly, oh, yeah. Oh. Forget Blumber the like... <laughs> Forget easy, light, and smooth, and fast. We're just fast and yeah, furious. Fast and furious. <laughs> That's right. Let's get right to the fast part. Well, you know, it's really cool, though, because I like hearing that stuff because it just opens my eyes all the time that when you think you understand something, you really don't. Like someone opened your eyes to the fast and furious, and you found something there that is probably legit. Uh, there's a movie that I love that I've met with universal scorn, and nobody likes it. Nobody will watch it. People who watch it with me, I try to get them to watch it with me, and they mock me after a minute or two. And that film is The Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot. So, okay. you know, I, I get why people bounce off the title and go, no, no, no. To me, the title is it. Like, hey, you've already admitted you killed these two things. How do you make a story out of that? So, I don't know, maybe there's a little adrenaline drip in there that we're sharing that other people aren't quite getting. Seriously. All right. Well, we're going to we're going to include a link to that movie in the show notes. We're not going to bother with the Fast and the Furious because we don't have that kind of space. There's a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. But for you, for so this this is what will really, I think, weave that the Fast and the Furious into this topic is, do you believe it was because of the shared experience of being with those crit, crit nerds, you know, that it was the bike nerds, just because you had a moment of fellowship? Oh, that's really what it's all about. Yeah. 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 And then in the winter at like the, one of the first training camps that Peter, my, my co-host slash husband and I were on together. Like we watched all of them. I think it was like one to seven had been out like with all of the guys who were living in the house. So yeah, like all of it's just kind of based in this, like, you know, shared memory of like hanging out with them, you know, after long rides, after long runs, like just vegging out on the couch back when we had time to veg on the couch after long rides instead of, you know, getting right back to work. Um, no, to the extent where there's a line in the first movie, I live life a quarter mile at a time. So we have a couple friends who were also into the series and they recently had a baby. So I made them a little onesie that has a little tiny Strider bike on it. And that has like a banner behind it that says, I live my life a quarter mile at a time. So that's the level we're at. <laughs> that's very cool. That is very cool. But you know, I, I think you hit, you hit the note because the theme of the Fast and Furious is that this is a family, you know, like they say it themselves, we're the oh family, my we're the family. Over and over and over again. Right? But I think, and then you're sitting there with your new family of bike nerds watching another family come together. And I think maybe that is, A, the reason why Born to Run originally was so popular. I think it may only be the only running book ever that was about a group. You know, mm -hmm. almost every running book is about some solo person out by themselves with their individual challenge. You know, uh, I love Ultra Marathon Man, but there's only one runner in it, and that's Dean. You know, uh, he did a great job, but he doesn't really celebrate. He actually celebrates the isolation. Mm -hmm. and, and there is this this myth of the loneliness of running. And then Born to Run is this kind of raucous adventure with a gang of people pulled together. Mm -hmm. And with Born to Run 2, we, we, we strived to hit that note again, that when we do this as a group, and so few of us do, it's so much more rewarding. And you have a hangover. You have a, a group run hangover of good feeling, like, just like you did with your, with your quick crew. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, solid, solid lead-in to talking about Born to Run 2 there. I love it. I love it. Um, okay, so the obvious question, I do want to actually ask about the kind of catch-up and the stories that are woven throughout the book, but the obvious question is just, why now? It's been 11 years since Born to Run came out. So what made it like, okay, this is finally the time. Like, I mean, I, people have been asking about it since you pretty much came out with the first one, since this is all on, all on Eric here? 
It's all on me. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I think that there's a lot of reasons, but I think ultimately it really comes down to how Chris opened with chapter one in Born to Run 2 about him actually talking about himself and his transformation that took place from Born to Run. And from his perspective, it, it took this long for him to really realize everything that he and I did and the experience that he experienced himself from Born to Run, that really this timeline allowed it to kind of come, I don't know if it's full circle, but just kind of maybe put the the, the period on the sentence, so to speak, of, of what this experience was for Chris and ultimately all the people that he inspired through Born to Run. Love yeah, it. I mean, for sure, for sure, you know, I, I'm not interested in any kind of fitness phenomenon that is a new innovation. I get interested when something has a very long pedigree and you see it again and again and again. So things like cold, cold plunges, hot saunas, um, you know, Wadachi running sandals, you see them again and again throughout history. Uh, and that's when, when something like that is around, it tells me, okay, this has some merit. And so for me, the things that Eric taught me back in 2004, 2005, I wanted to give it like sort of a 15-year test period to see, does this stuff really work or is it, is it just working long enough for me to drag my sorry ass to the finish line a couple of times before you know, I, I explode into a bunch of salvage parts? Mm -hmm. uh, and and what, what I realized was, hey, you know what? Here I am 15 years later. Exactly what he trained me to do in 2005, it still works. And it got me to the point where I almost don't even think about it anymore. And that was a good opportunity to go back and re-examine it all. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, now, I read, I admit, Born to Run as almost like a, a training manu manual when it first came out, which was problematic because that meant that I went and bought a pair of barefoot shoes and signed up for a trail marathon like that weekend, <laughs> which I think I've told you about before, which honestly, it went pretty well, like all things considered. Um, but uh you know, I can see why there's probably like a need to maybe expand on some of these ideas, uh, which you do very well in, in the new book. Um, but do you feel like, how am I trying to phrase this, that like all of the advice that could be gleaned from the original Born to Run, like stayed kind of similar in Born to Run 2, just is more fleshed out and actually like broken down versus like any big differences, like in what you believed then versus now? You know, you know who did not buy a pair of Vibrams and run a trail marathon in Born to Run? Me. <laughs> I didn't do that. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it's kind of funny because um, people seem to have made a bunch of assumptions. Like they, they read Born to Run. I think they got very captivated by the adventure. They were captivated by this new shoe, the Vibram Five Fingers. And so somehow they put this together like, hey, Vibram Five Fingers ultra running, let's put them all together. But actually, I did two things in Born to Run. Number one, I didn't offer any training advice at all mm -hmm. because I felt like I'm not qualified, man. I'm, I'm the monkey in the space capsule. I'm not quite sure if I'm coming back alive, you know? And the second thing was Eric's voice advice very pointedly in Born to Run is, hey, dude, you can either learn to run minimally or you can train for a 50-mile race, but you can't do both at the same time. So make a choice. You can gradually ramp up and really focus on your form, spend your time doing that, or you can do the kind of volume you, you need to go from zero to 50 miles in nine months. And so since that's what we were going to do, the priority for the uh, priority was the race. I was running in Nike Pegasus, you know, a pretty well cushioned shoe, minimalist mm -hmm. drop. I think it was maybe like six millimeter drop or something, which is not bad uh, for me at the time. But I, I think people, a lot of people did that. They got so sucked into it. They just assumed that the next move is to go barefoot and, and run marathons. So that that was really the motivation of Born to Run too. Is like, let's clear the air here. We never we never ever said that, and so maybe we should uh, make that point a little bit more firmly. Mm -hmm. Okay, Eric, how did you get this guy running fifty miles? Like the whole the whole book. Obviously, we could talk for hours about the whole book. Everyone should go look at the right. whole book. But like, if you had to boil down, maybe like a couple of your like main things that you did with Chris. Yeah, yeah. So, um, one was obviously his form. You know, from the first weekend he and I met in Denver, uh, 
um, that kind of spearheaded the conversation of possibly going down to do this race. You know, we, we attacked his form and, and really got him kind of on a good path to that lifelong practice. And then with that, we really, you know, I kind of discovered early on that a lot of his challenges was from, from breaking down was that he just was not efficient from his form, which then also didn't allow him to be efficient cardiovascularly. So and this this can resonate with a lot of people. So what was happening is every time he went out for a run, for him, it was more comfortable to run faster. So if he's trying to run for distance, but it's more comfortable for him to run faster, he's kind of every time he goes out, he's overtraining. And that's what was causing the breakdown is that he, everything was falling apart. And so what I had to do was really pulling the reins from for a lot of runs and and help him to learn to run easy well so he created that engine cardiovascular efficiency but then on the opposite end we started doing sprints and hill hill repeats rather quickly to develop strength Mm -hmm. and so we kind of eliminated that that middle area and you know i i forget the exact uh timeline but he can speak to this, but, you know, within a very short time, he was up to two to three hours running. Nice. I do want to ask you about form because I think this is super interesting because this is one of those ones that like makes headlines every year or so where like one year it's like form doesn't matter. Run the way that you naturally do. And that's like the perfect stride is like the one you do. And then the next one comes out and it's like, no, absolutely not. And then one comes out like, it just seems like it, it wobbles back and forth, but form is a very big part of this book. And I really want you to talk about the the rock lobster trick, as I'm going to refer to it as. Um, so talk to me about, you know, your your stance on form mattering and how we can like figure out our good form. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's everything. You know, you look at any sport, you know, every sport has a technique to it whether it's cycling, you know, why do cyclists clip in on their forefoot? Because that's where the power comes, right? You, you wouldn't, you wouldn't clip in a cyclist with their heel first, right? Cause there's no power there. Okay. Cadence, you know, with cycling is, is huge, you know? And so all, all these other sports have very specific things or skills that need to take place for them to become efficient and pro, proficient um, in their own sport. And running is no different. And, and running in itself is the activity. So every step we take can be a form of strength training if done properly. And mm-hmm. from my perspective, every time we strike the ground can be a good strike or a bad strike. And if we use it well, we're, like I said, every step is a form of strength training. And if we can see run form as a form of strength training, I bet that would change a lot of people's perspective. I love that. I love that. Okay. Talk to me about the rock lobster thing. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it's funny thing though, Molly, because it's it's those articles you're referencing are the thing that I think are the biggest triggers for me. They drive me crazy. Whenever I see a reference to, well, we're all an experiment of one. Don't mess with your natural form. And I think you know, I, I've got to wonder if this is not traced back to the heavy marketing of the shoe industry because. To me, it is so insane that running is the only sport on the planet. You know, Steph Curry is not just chucking the ball in the air. You know, mm-hmm. divers aren't like, hey, if you belly flop, you belly flop. You'll figure it out. No, everything has a better and a worse technique. But only in running are you told, just do whatever, just buy a different shoe to dampen the, the consequences of it. And to me, it's like, well, you know, that, you'll get away with that for a while. But at some point, you're going to break down. No, it's such a good point. Like when I did triathlon, I, you know, spent time with swim coaches who, you know, they're analyzing my stroke in the water on, you know, bike, getting my bike fit, like all of that stuff. And yeah, never even like once considered it for the run. Yeah. And I think unfortunately the two, the two big motors, the two big economic engines in the sport of running are shoes and races. And what you're told to do is get into a race, go run a marathon, run your 5k as fast as you can qualify for Boston. It's go as fast as you can, as early as you can, as far as you can, as early as you can. 
And in no other sport are you told that. If you sign up for like karate classes, they're like, all right, how quickly can you smash this block? You know, if I'm learning guitar, how fast can you play your guitar? Everything is about take your time, learn the craft, progress in a way where you master the movements. And over a period of time, you'll get very good and proficient. Plus, the pleasure is built into the learning process because it's not about speed, going really fast to the point where you hate it and you burn out. Every time you achieve a milestone, you feel that gratification and it encourages you for the next milestone. So I think what happens with running is because races are a massive economic market and they tie in very nicely with shoes. You can buy a carbon fibery or carbon plated or cushioned thing, which will allow you to run fast for a short period of time. Uh, the consequences, however, is that you will get injured and then you're back out again. But basically, you've sold a lot of shoes and a lot of race bibs in a short amount of time. And so I think the idea, if you tell people, hey, you know what, buy a minimal shoe, take a year or two to master your craft, that basically knocks those two economic engines out of the game and they don't want to hear that. Uh, so, for, so for me, the revelation, I you know, had never heard this before. No one had ever told me about running form. And me being the worst case scenario, like I'm the lowest common denominator. I'm a big old dude, man. I was 240 pounds, middle-aged, heavy heel thumper, and had been told repeatedly by doctors, don't do this. Do something else. And then have Eric teach me form and have this like transformation, which was both immediate and long lasting. To me, it just made me just a fire breathing zealot. Like this is the answer. Mm -hmm. um, but here's the problem. Problem you brought up with the rock lobster fix is that it's very difficult to translate movement into language. You know, if I tell you right now, pat your head. Well, are you going to use your right hand or your left hand? You're going to pat it fast or slow. You're going to pat it for a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds. So it's very hard to come up with instructions which can be in print, which are universally understandable for everybody. And so what Eric is really good at is getting the words out of the way and teaching people how to feel things. And so what we wanted to do with running form is how can we just take a language out of it and have a movement that everybody can do and you can't mess it up and it is foolproof. So what we came up with is the rock lobster running form fix because basically running form is about two things. It's about cadence and foot strike, how you land on your foot and how quickly. So if you take your shoes off and you stand with your back to a wall about a foot away and you put on rock lobster and you run barefoot in place, that's it. You cannot mess that up because if you're overstriding, you'll kick back against the wall or you'll move away from the wall. And if you are landing on your bare feet, you're going to land on your forefoot because you can't land on your heel and run in place barefoot. You can't do it. And lastly, rock lobster is 90 beats per minute per leg. So you're going to get that 180 beats per minute. So it's foolproof. So you don't have to explain anymore. Just tell people, put the song on, take your shoes off, run in place. Perfection. I love it. I love it. I also like that you did have an alternative playlist. If you weren't really into rock lobster, I like <laughs> that was just like so good. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you spot something on there that really appealed to you? I, I'm guessing you're kind of a metal thrasher kind of person. I mean, more or less. <laughs> Fast in the fury. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yes. My well, my old. I think my old punk rock days might actually kill me if I tried to run in place to any of that stuff. So I was a fan of the the Ramones you had on there. That was good. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Some of the, the stuff I used to listen to might uh, might make me have a heart attack by the time I'm done with the song. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, okay, so we have that that form. How do we translate it to adding in sneakers? Like, do you think you can just kind of like you do that with the bare feet and then you put on your shoes and kind of do it again and sort of try to get that same feeling? Or like how do we how do we really translate that feeling of doing that against a wall to actually moving forward in our shoes? Yeah, so two things are going on and most people tend to think it's just one thing is that when we learn run form, it's easy. The rock lobster five minute fix teaches us proper run form and per your question, where our foot strikes should be. Okay. So now, you know, but now the practice comes in of training the brain to create that muscle memory. So you can hold run form longer and longer and longer. You know, you used, you, you, you've been a triathlete, you know, this is what 
alerted me to the importance of of form way back in the early 90s i i just had come off a a a crit i i won the colorado state championship crit race in on bike so i was i was fit and the next week i decided i'm going to get a triathlon so i went to the pool and you know crits crits are probably <laughs> the hardest thing you can do from a racing standpoint and so fit here's fit guy but i had to go in at nine o'clock in the afternoon at night because i couldn't swim a full length of the pool because i was so inefficient and that taught me is like wow this is all about form and for me to get better, it was practicing getting better at form. So going back to your question is that now, now the practice comes in where the leg stiffeners and all the other exercises that we have in the book help you to understand that foot strike and that feeling and creating the feeling over and over and over. So now you can do it longer and longer and longer. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think it's easier for someone who's just learning to run to nail this versus someone who's been, say, running for like, I don't know, 15 ish years and maybe needs some help on their form and maybe has terrible cadence. Uh, 100%, I'm going to have a hard yeah. time with this, aren't I? Yeah. Um, and, and again, that's, that, that's where I think if you understand two things are going on is what happens is that when people go to change, if they're making a big change, it can be a little frustrating at first because it feels different. And so because it feels different, they think they haven't learned enough. So they keep trying to learn more and layer on more learning, but it's actually the practice that they need to, to put in, in place. So mm -hmm. if you think of it as a lifelong practice, like Chris did, now you have the patience and now you're just getting better day to day, week to week, year to year. I'm always thinking about my form and I've been doing this for, you know, 30 years. Mm -hmm. I, like I think that. that's where the minimalist shoe is really instrumental as well. And Eric and I and other people had a pretty spirited debate because in the book, I thought it would be negligent for us to not recommend a shoe. You know, if we're telling people, hey, you really need to be aware of your footwear, but we're not going to tell you what to do. To me, that was just a cowardly way to go. We got to step up and say, this is what we recommend. I was holding out really hard for minimalist shoes like the zero shoes. And because to me, any more additional cushioning takes me away from form. It, it allows sloppiness to creep in. I, I, I like that absence of apologies on my feet because I can't get away with sloppy form in a minimalist shoe because I'll, I'll feel it. Uh, but Eric and other people that we really respect, like Nathan Lehman at the Ultra Running Company and his colleague Amy Stone, they said, you know, the ultra is the way to go. You need a little bit of a transition because... The problem that a lot of people had, uh, you know, as you mentioned, going from, you know, a cushion shoe to the Vibram Five Fingers, is it's way too abrupt a transition. And if you haven't dialed your form in, you're going to hurt yourself. So where we came down on is I, I believe the way to go is to go with the least amount of protection that you need for the terrain you're on. If I'm on asphalt, I'll usually go completely barefoot or a sandal or a super minimal uh, shoe. If I'm on a trail, I'll wear like an Innovate or uh, the Zero Shoes Mesa Trail. I have a little bit of lug and protection, but I'm basically looking to dial in the least amount I need in order to constantly remind myself to be aware of my form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Now, if someone has been used to say like a trail, like a Pegasus or something like that for a long time, would you go with maybe like how would you, I guess, transition them into using a more minimal shoe? Because I imagine you don't want to just go start doing all your runs in said minimal shoe. I, I think the key thing that people have to understand is, well, the difficulty people run into is if they're looking to running as their primary form of daily fitness, they want to cram in as much as they can in the least amount of time possible. You know, if they've got 45 minutes in the afternoon for their workout, they want to get 45 minutes worth of sweat out of it. And the difficulty is if you're telling them, hey, you're going to transition, you're probably only going to run a quarter mile today. Uh, that, that's a dilemma. That's a problem they have because I, I worry about my fitness. So Eric can, can deal with that more specifically. But my wife came up with a short-term, I think, genius remedy, which is that she would begin her runs barefoot with her shoes in her hand. Ooh. And the second she felt any kind of discomfort of any kind, whether it was just a little bit of rubbing or her ankle felt weird, whatever, put the shoes on, finish the run. So if she's going for a three-mile run, starts barefoot, 
After 200 yards, if her, something's uncomfortable, puts the shoes on, keeps on running. And then very quickly, that barefoot period extends itself and you're off to the races. I like that. That's a good one. Eric, uh, what, do you, what do you think? Yeah. And I, you know, I, if, if we look back at, you know, the sixties and seventies, when there was a lot of barefoot training going on, you know, with, within established clubs and, and teams, you know, it, it's not just about looking at the shoe as, as one or one or the other. If we start to look at minimal shoes as a tool that helps with form and helps with strength, again, now we're changing our mindset of what the purpose can be for the individual, not a, a decision of what ultimately you're, you're going to run in most of the time. So if mm -hmm. we say, hey, I'm going to pick this tool for one to three times a week um, and, and strengthen myself and work on my form. And then the other days I'm still in my old shoes. And what happens through time is as you get stronger, as you get more proficient with your form, you begin, your feet crave more natural movement. So then you start to move more and maybe in the middle. And that's where it just becomes a lifelong pursuit of, of using more and more natural types of shoes because that's what the, the foot will want. And that's at the place where Eric and I sort of have a tug of war because he knows more. He's, he's the better coach. He's more knowledgeable, hands down. There's no, there's no contest there. But from, from my personal experience, I feel that any opportunity for cushioning is going to mess me up. And I just feel like that's like the, that's that one shot at the keel that the alcoholic does not need. And so for me, I'm again more of a fire breathing purist about this. I feel like if you're a bit wiffly waffly, well, I'll use the Pegasus for now, but eventually it's not going to happen. To me, it's like go the other way, go cold turkey, go minimal, and stick with it. Well, and and you know, and Chris and I had this conversation while we were writing the book, and from my perspective, you know. Chris is on an island and he's kind of more, he's, it's, it's a lifestyle for him. And. I like that Chris like is literally on an island and also figuratively yeah. on an island in this. <laughs> yeah, right. he's, he's on an <laughs> island. No, yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, in writing the program in the book, even, you know, I know we're not going to convince people to go cold Turkey. People are going to want to do their races. I'm going to want to do my mountain runs. Other people are going to do, want to do the volume of running they want to do. And for the majority of the people out there, they're not going to be patient enough to go cold turkey. Therefore, we we kind of found that that middle ground with with the ultra shoe. That okay for most people, especially with the high the high cushion shoe nowadays, opposed to back in the the born to run day, that that ultra shoe Escalante or superior is going to feel like a minimal shoe feels like to Chris because they're so used to having 30 mils of, of stack height underneath their foot. Yeah. You know, it's kind of cool though. You know, it's mm -hmm. kind of cool. Molly was that in the book, we actually reflected these arguments where mm -hmm. we, another argument we had was over whether people should listen to music while they're running. Eric and I are like, no way. It's ridiculous. But on the other hand, lots of people do it. So we thought, okay, let's open the conversation up. And we ended up saying, look, we don't completely agree, but we can't tell you that we're completely right. That's why we brought in like Rick Rubin and our friend Lady Southpaw and Flea to offer their perspectives and kind of air the entire debate. And same thing with shoes. Like, you know, here's what we feel. There's another viewpoint. Um, you can weigh the two yourself, but this is kind of where we come down on it. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and ultimately, you know, Chris and we, we joke that Chris and I don't see eye to eye, but we actually do because I, I believe that we should run in the most minimal environment we can. And the further we get away from the ground, the less and less we're going to use our shoe or use our feet well. So if we have that perspective, then we can kind of take on a life of our own personally based on the type of running we want to do. Mm -hmm. Love it. So we've talked about form here for, for quite a while, but the book is not just about run form. What I really like kind of loved is it got so specific about run form. There's all these drills, there's all this stuff, but then it actually has like the other half, I would say is much more open-ended into this like overall like health and well-being. And I really loved and appreciated that. So 
Chris, talk to me about this whole concept of really like leading with like overall health from like, you know, food and blood work and like social connections and all of that. Yeah, this was a really pulsing beat of the whole question for me, of the whole book. Uh, I think to our detriment, we have isolated running into this kind of necessary punishment we have to go through every day to make up for what we ate, you know, for lunch that day. And from a sort of historical standpoint, that's not what running is. You know, we, we are historically very movement-oriented creatures. You know, humans are movers. That's why we're all over the planet. Because you, you can't make us sit still. You put us in one place and humans are going to just migrate. We're going to take off in every direction. And we're also, you know, by evolutionary biological terms, we're the greatest long-distance runners in creation. Like no other mammal can run long distances in the heat better than humans. So it is a part of our entire lives. Unfortunately, we've isolated to it, isolated it to a little tiny corner of our lives. But I think the, the solution to not only being better runners, but being happier, healthier people is to integrate running into our every aspect of our lives. And let's just start off with food as a, as a starting point, because, you know, most people get involved in running because of their relationship to food, uh, either because, hey, I put on a few pounds, I better run a little bit or hey, I just want to run so I can eat whatever I want. But somehow we're, we're trying to use running as a way of balancing out what we're doing at the dinner table. And unfortunately, that to me creates a recipe for disaster. You know, that if you're chasing calories all the time, that's what your running's all about. It's not about pleasure. It's not about proper training. It's not about use, using your gears. It's not about running for them. It's only about counteracting the haagen and so what we tell people is, look, you got to get food off the table. You know, you've got to get your, your eating dialed in. It doesn't have to be a punishment. It doesn't have to be harsh, but it has to be awareness of the effect that the food is having on your body. So let's get food out of the equation so you're not constantly looking at running as a response to food. But the second, I think, element of it are the two things that we think are actually antithetical to good running, which is family and fun. You know, we feel like, hey, if I'm in a group, well, that's just recreational or if I'm having fun, I'm doing it wrong. And, you know, unfortunately to me, that's that, that weird Puritan discipline mindset that we have that, hey, you know, if I'm, enjoy I'm enjoying it, I got to apologize for it. Uh, but I think running from an almost a chemical brain standpoint is the more you enjoy, the more smiles you have, the better you're going to get and the more likely you are to repeat the process. So we really try to counteract that notion that running has to feel bad in order for it to be right. We're saying mm -hmm. the opposite. If it's uncomfortable, if, you're, if your body is sore, if you feel twinges, if you're feeling stressed, you're doing it wrong. You need to reinvent it. So you finish every run feeling really fresh and good and, and happy with your head up. Love that. Um, yeah. I also really appreciate, by the way, that you had a chapter on running with baby joggers and then also running with dogs as, as someone who doesn't have kids, but has a tiny dog. So I was like, yes, there is a chapter for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's cool with the, ti the tiny dogs too, Molly, is tiny dogs are like terrific runners. I, I was surprised first to hear it from my friend Guillermo. He used to run with this chihuahua that like banged up a seven miler. Um, but I see it now all the time, you know, now that I keep my eye out for running dogs, mm -hmm. these, uh, these little, these little squirrely dogs, they can, they can hammer, man. They can hammer for distance too. Yeah. It's funny. I, I knew Catcher Corbett has her dachshunds that run with her, but I actually was just talking to a woman at a conference this weekend and she was, she has a dachshund that like is our dachshunds like body double. And she's like, oh yeah, he does two miles every morning. And I was like, Oh no, my dachshund isn't well enough trained right now. We got to get him out. He's got to be doing three. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You got to get that dog doing hill repeats. Yeah, exactly. It's falling behind. Hey, uh, Molly, you know, a cool thing about running with dogs is that uh, what I learned. So, you know, we discussed running with Sherman. Um, when we were learning to train these donkeys to be our running partners, the solution, like the easiest remedy was to just surround them with more creatures. The, the, the bigger our herd we could build, the better the donkeys were running. And now it's been a few years, but I found that really holds true with dogs. Uh, any, anytime I have tried to help somebody teach their dog how to be a better runner, the answer was, well, just throw more dogs and more people at the equation. And it solves the problem. Uh, I was down in North Carolina one time on a, friend, on a run with our, our friend Nathan. And we came across this woman in the woods 
she's trying to run with her dog and the dog wasn't having it. And she was frustrated and the dog was like trying to like chase squirrels. And me and Nathan and the woman just kind of surrounded the dog uh, and then started to run. And the dog got it like that. And the transformation was nuts. But it really taught me that this lesson for humans and animals is that the more of us there are, the better the run's going to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that so much. Yeah, I, I need to get DW out uh, on the run. And also, I should thank you because I think uh, I think without running for Sherman, I wouldn't have gotten the dog because after we talked to you about that, I was like, we need a donkey. So uh, the dog was actually like the reasonable compromise at that point. <laughs> I love how you, you transferred donkey into dachshund. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're still kind of in that like kind of short for their like style of mammal category. <laughs> well done. Well yeah. done. Pretty pleased with myself for that one. <laughs> um, and Eric, how about you? The whole like overall overarching health concept, has that been something that, you know, you've always kind of believed in as a coach or has that kind of come over time or where have you kind of landed with that? Yeah, I mean, my 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 whole thing is athleticism is awareness. And so, you know, as taking that core philosophy into the free seven and just making it into almost kind of a system, so to speak, where it's every part is a whole, a part of the whole. So, uh, you know, I I, I think and that was what was fun about writing with Chris and, and, you know, creating this book is that we had that back and forth uh, and, and creating you know, what was fun, what, how community, you know, really affect us. And then we went on the road um, in September to kind of do the book tour without the book. And we, we went out, we drove all across the country and, you know, just going into Harlem and running with 150 people in, in the middle of Harlem at night and just being with people, you know, we, we experienced it with Born to Run where we have this bond that we'll always have. And I do camps and we had this training camp for the photo shoot for Born to Run 2. And you just keep creating all these bonds with runners that has always been a big part of who I was as a runner and and my development, you know, and and going through life as a runner. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Love it. Okay. Talk to me actually about that training camp because I thought what was cool in the book was it, it's not just, you know, you guys talking about your personal experiences, you did bring in this whole like training camp element. So, and they're not all like the super pro ultra runners who are out there, like winning the hundred milers necessarily. Yeah. But it it was, it was a cross section of every type of runner out there Mm -hmm. that I see, you know, again, I I've done camps and coach people all over the world. And, you know, when we got those people together in Colton, California, the main purpose was to just have a photo shoot for the book because we knew winter was coming and we wouldn't be able to have these photos as we got into the writing of the book. But then as we got there, it just started, it morphed into a, a three day training camp that I would normally give anywhere. And so we started seeing all these people, all these runners having different wobbles and different things that were going on. And that, that just kind of in an authentic way became part of the story that we didn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. I like the phrase wobbles, by the way, I did actually have that on my list of things I wanted to ask about um, because I, I felt like that was such a good phrase because I mean, a, it was like literal in some of the, the yeah, good job, Chris. Uh, it was like very literal in some of the cases when you're talking about like balance and, you know, your hip kind of coming out and stuff, but I like it because it's non-judgmental, right? It's not like a flaw or like a mistake or a problem. It's just a wobble. DW's weighing in on this too, if you nice. <laughs> All right, someone to one of you take the wobble concept. Talk to me about it. Yeah, that first of all, your point is one of those happy accidents that now that you illustrate, like, oh yeah, you're right. Uh I, I think in, intuitively it felt like the right word, but I, I think you are unpacking why it appealed to us too. Uh our initial thought was that a lot of times the initial primary cause for a problem isn't evident. It, it's somewhere else. It's something that's going to develop over time. And a lot of times it's a, it's a little wobble. 
It's a little thing that's only small now, but it's going to send reverberations. And, it's, and at some point, it's going to travel and cause a difficulty. And what was so surprising for us was when we got this group together in Colton. And I got to tell you, um, Molly, I just am in love with that cover photo because that is what we wanted to achieve. That was the whole purpose of having that group get together that Lewis Escobar assembled for us because we wanted to get as many different kinds of runners together. So the funny thing was our goal was diversity, but the outcome was unity because we had gender fluid runners, African-American runners, Latino runners, older, younger, accomplished, not so accomplished, um, karma who runs in sandals, other people who run thick trail shoes, get them all together. We thought they were all very different. But what we found was the attitude was the same and also their vulnerability to wobbles were all the same. And we were finding them all over the place. And that's what really got the concept in our mind. Like, oh yeah, all these different runners, a lot of them have a little tiny like flaw in the machinery that at some point could end up costing them. And you know, one in, one in particular, there's a super, super accomplished, super fit uh, trail runner named Emmanuel Runes. And a lot of the pictures of him are in the book because he looks like freaking Tarzan. Like he's like the prettiest man I've ever seen in my life. And he's so athletic that when Eric would say, Hey, let's, let's do a standing like vertical jump. And then Manny's like seven feet in the air, but Eric's looking at him like, man, this guy has got no glutes at all. He's all quads. He's driving himself with his quads. And Eric's like, Oh, that's going to be a problem. Like one month later, Manny's got a stress fracture. And, you know, we don't know if it's cause and effect, but that's that's what I that was the concept of wobbles. And one thing we wanted to stress in the book is wobbles aren't necessarily physical. You know, a wobble could be because you don't have your eating dialed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, a wobble could be because you are you don't have your gears focused in. You're in one gear all the time. You're just grinding along in first gear all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a wobble could be come from the fact that you're running by yourself with your earbuds in and you're not aware of your surroundings, and so your your form is becoming sloppy. So. A wobble could be any little thing, which over time is going to create a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. Side note, that cover, uh, look up the Justice League Unlimited uh, cartoon show cover. Um, it's almost that exact concept, but with superheroes. Uh, I am just going all over the nerdy place in this wow. episode, but. Uh, <laughs> hey, fine. listen, we got a lot to talk about. I just wrote that down. down. Have you seen the new Suicide Squad? I have not actually. I know. What? You call yourself a nerd? I know. I know. Oh. Well, see, I'm more like cartoon. This is like the really embarrassing uh, thing. It's like, it's not even the live action stuff. I genuinely, like, as I'm just going to share, like, this is on my desk. Like, all right. I have an okay. action figure collection. It's bad. <laughs> so, a couple of things about that. First of all, Suicide Squad and then Peacemaker. See, see the, the movie. Okay. First, the movie is, is superb. Why did not win all the Oscars shows me why that whole system is flawed. It is a beautifully told story with characters that are so rich. It's, it's, it's amazing, uh, a masterwork. And then it led yeah. to an unexpected show called Peacemaker. Anyway, um, it's funny. So when we were, uh, Eric and I kind of had this concept of a cover in mind from the beginning. We, we sort of knew what we wanted. We didn't, weren't sure how to do it. And then when Lewis ended up constructing this shot, we're like, perfect. And then later, our, our editor in the UK uh, referred to it as the hero shot. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's what it is. So you knew better. You two, you and Cindy knew. We didn't know. We, we had an instinct, but we didn't really know what to call it. And that's what it is. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I love it. Um, okay, amazing. Uh, and let me see. I have two more things I wanted to touch on before we, before we let you go here. Uh, the first is the one thing that did really transfer from book one to book two is the easy, light, smooth, and fast concept. So I'd love it if one of you could just explain that for people who are listening who haven't read the first one um, and maybe just kind of talk through it. Yeah, that's a Chris story. By the way, look how good Manny looks. I mean, is this not like... You You're, know, right. You're right. You're right. Human Very pretty man, yeah. At his, at his highest peak. So, you know, here's a funny thing, Molly. A lot of what's in the book, surprisingly, really began with Micah True, Caballo Blanco. Uh, it is kind of shocking to me to look back and realize, boy, he was like a lot more right than I realized. Uh, 
because you know he has this kind of folksy aphorisms and his sayings, and he's kind of a surly, kind of leave me alone, kind of grouchy guy. But you know, I, I would say, Eric, looking back, almost point by point, he was there ahead of us. Uh, maybe, maybe not ahead of you, but definitely ahead of me. So, one of the very things he, one of the very first things he ever told me, the first time he ever took me for a run was. Look, man, you know, everybody's always obsessed with going fast. They always want to go fast. You know what? First, focus on easy. Because if that's all you get, that ain't so bad. And then once you get easy, focus on light. Make it feel light. Then go smooth. And you get those three things, you're going to be fast. Easy, light, smooth, and fast. And it became this sort of mantra in my brain as I ran. Just focus on easy. Get that going first. But in so many other ways, the fact that he wanted to create this communal fellowship of a race not about competition, not where y'all show up, beat the shit out of each other and leave, but actually learn from each other before you go to war. Uh, that sense of family, uh, the sense of minimalist footwear. Um, he was actually pretty, you know, he, he's vegetarian, so he's mindful of his food. So again, I, I, for a long time, I think I had two big misconceptions about two people, Micah True and Micah True Jr., who's Billy Bonehead, Billy Barnett. Uh, I look at Billy as just a hard-drinking, hard-partying guy who gets by on pure athletic ability. Completely wrong. Uh, Billy's a very smart and very mindful student of athletics, and that's the secret of his, of his success. And Micah, I think, was the same way. He studied the Tabomata and learned and applied what they knew. And I think a lot of what we talk about, Eric, is really reflecting uh, things that that Micah True figured out by living with and learning from the battle model. Love it. Actually, I was going to ask you which your favorite. Uh, you have a bunch of kind of like catch up stories. I'm calling them sort of throughout the book where we get to revisit some of the the key players. Uh, was Billy your favorite one in there, or the the one about Micah? By the way, is just so poignant and like I admit I, I got a little teary reading it. So def- I don't want to like spoil it for anyone, but it's like you have to go read it. It's so like beautifully told. My, my favorite catch up is with Barefoot Ted, because I think that if one character comes across as um, exaggerated and larger than life, it's Ted. And if anything, anything I say about him is an understatement. <laughs> like I, I get, it is hard to transmit the experience of Barefoot Ted until you meet him in person. But even that photo shoot, he was driving us insane just crazy because he would not answer and he's messing around and goofy and shit but when he shows up he is all ge- generosity of heart so to me like i love ted because he is a maniac and a motor mouth and a goofball but a truly loving caring dude who who delivers and is so Amidst all the chaos, he has this one kind of third eye centered on who needs help. And Mm -hmm. he's there for that person, always. Mm -hmm. I love that. How about you, Eric? Yeah, I was going to say, Eric, like, I think what I'm, what I like almost forgot just now is that you were around in Born to Run. It's not like you came in and like, are just like, oh, you're just like the talking head coach for Born to Run too. Like, A, you're the coach in Born to Run, but B, you were there. Uh, You know, you were at this race, like. So yeah, well, for you. I, yeah, now, I was just thinking about your question about the 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 ketchup story. For me, it's totally Billy, because back back in 2006 when we were down in Copper Canyon for the book, um, in the race, um, he he was the one who I related to the most of of the of the gang. But there was a barrier of age. He was like 20, 21 at the time, and I had just my first child. And like two two months earlier, so I I had you know baby is at home on the brain, and and so kind of was distracted that way a little bit, and then Billy and Jen came to visit me shortly after as they moved west, and so come to come full circle with this story is that you know a month ago Chris and I had a did a podcast with Billy and his wife. And so that was really the first time I had seen Billy. There he is. Yep. So good. And so it's almost kind of like, you know, you see this kid grow up, grow up and realize how similar you are. And it was just kind of a, a cool thing to, 
kind of talk with him for an hour and and just kind of get caught up and just see see who he has become and and now he has a family and it was just kind of really cool for me so good so good um okay this is maybe like a weird one but is there any piece of training advice that's out there right now other than like you don't like ignore your form whatever stride you do is a good stride is there any other piece of training advice that's out there that just drives you nuts Ooh, that's um I, I I'm I'm gonna say it just because it's fresh off my mind from another conversation and it's the 80-20. Is that I I in me 80% of your time is spent easy, 20% of the time should be hard or fast, whatever word you want to attach to it. And and I I totally a, a lot of that I totally believe in, but it's Anytime there's a label attached to something, I think you should be kind of maybe a little skeptical because that's not what Chris needed, you know, for Born to Run. And he needed some of that. But, it, you know, it, it's it's kind of I think one thing it, it's with the, with food. You know, now we have fasting, we have keto and all all those labels now have really killed the reason why there's some benefit to doing all of that. Because now it's 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 the shoes, the minimal. It's like all or nothing. It has to be a choice. And it's all all of that wrapped up in one based on the own individual. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because we started this conversation with saying, you know, the whole every runner is like a N equals one. Uh, and kind of like pointing out the fallacy of that when it comes to form. But we are kind of coming sort of full circle and saying, like, there are sort of some of these inputs that you know, do need to be dialed, but at the same time, like, you know, we all do need to kind of do our own homework and figure out what does work for us. It's not like we can completely just pick up a formula and run with it or bringing the book back into it. You know, we have eight gears or eight training zones that we are recommending people kind of get a feeling for. And that's the whole idea of the 90 day program is to throw out all these gears so people get a feeling of what these gears feels like that they can feel a benefit for. And it's it's variety, right? And that I think when, when we start throwing labels or categorizations, we kind of lose the idea and the mindset for variety. I think the thing about it, Molly, is that they keep trying to shove this one size fits all solution. The only thing you need to do is this, you know, like when they say, go to the running shoe store, get your gain analyzed, get these shoes and you're good to go. That's not true. Um, or for your diet, you know, just go keto and you're all good. That's not true. 80, 20. That's not true. What we're telling people is you got to examine the whole picture. And what Eric's talking about, you know, 80, 20, well, does it look at the entire year range? And that's what really, to me, made the difference. He taught me form. But then he also taught me how to go up and down the speedometer so that I could actually choose a pace that was appropriate to the distance and extend that range. So that if I'm on a long trail run, I can go hard up a hill. I can go easy down a hill. I can go hard in the flats. I can dial it back. That by working my way up and down the gear shift, that's what allowed me to go longer quickly. So dialing the form and then working the gears. And so that's why when you know you, you go look at the 8020, like, dude, that's not the cure-all, you know. That's not the ibuprofen that's going to remove all the pain. Uh, you got to look at everything else as well. And that's where I feel like people need to just get their head out of their butts. I think everyone, it's so quick. Hey, I'll buy the Viva Fine figures. I'm good to go. You're, you're not. You know, you need to look at the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, let it be shown that I never have had the five fingers. I've strictly been the Vivo Barefoot and the Scoras. So. Ah, all right. Just just all in right. case anyone's like assuming that I wore the five fingers. We're not going that far. Ah, yeah. I was making that <laughs> assumption. I, I I paid you as a five finger person. Nope, nope. I love the Vivo barefoot shoes only because they have like they have like a wide range of like everyday shoes too. So I've loved them forever. And even though I, I run in like um you know Nike Terra Tigers and stuff now, I still do all of my walking, all of my like living in barefoot shoes. So that's stuck that's, with me I, for... I think that's a great point is that we we talk so much about what we should use while we're running, but it's maybe what we're doing the majority of the time throughout the day. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And we've had Katie Bowman on the podcast and she talks a lot about that with walking and sort of these like, actually, I think uh, she uses a similar term to what you guys talk about. Uh, what is it? Movement snacks or something to that effect. She talks about doing more like movement snacks sort of throughout the day as just like random little bits of movement. So it's a very interesting like intersection of the two. Yeah. Um, well, guys, I could keep you here for like hours and for the record, open invite to come back on and talk running anytime forever. Um, but let everyone know where they can get born to run to. Uh, and it's out on December 6th, correct? Very. That's exciting. right. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. let's, let's recap, Molly. Uh, homework we're offering people is yes. revisit the Fast and Furious franchise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See what you can learn, but do it with friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, let's all watch uh, The Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot and weigh in with our opinions. Suicide Squad, the new one, Peacemaker. Uh, Eric, what do we got for the list? Any uh, <laughs> pithy bits of cultural advice out there that we're, we're missing? Well, I, I've got my homework is the Justice League, the, the, the image. I got to look at that. Yeah. I'm going to send it to you as soon as we like hit stop yeah. recording okay. and I can type on my computer and not make noise. <laughs> right. And so I'm, I'm still anxious you. to really hear what song Molly would really like to do her, her rock lobster to because I'm, 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 I'm come from the same musical background as you. I want to hear it. Okay, I'm gonna have to like do some cadence research here. I'll I'll All get right. back to you. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> hey, you know, maybe the answer for you would be our friend Lady Southpaw has an entire album called Marathoners of New York, and she created. Oh, sorry, it's a trash truck backing up. Um, so Lady Southpaw, who did this song for us called Born to Run to, but she has an entire album. So she wanted to create her own songs to train for for the for the New York City Marathon, and so she comes from a hardcore CBGB, you know, New York punk tradition. Uh. And awesome. so that might be what you're looking okay. for. Check out Lady Southpaw on, on Spotify. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Thank you both so much for coming on. This was so much fun. Uh, I'm not going to say it's my favorite ever episode with you, Chris, but I think it might be my favorite episode with you, Chris. <laughs> and we've had a few, so. I wonder what the difference is. Mm. <laughs> all right uh is there a website everyone should go to for born to run to or just wherever books are sold what's the best way yeah uh born to run world is our our website so it's born to run dot world not dot com um and then born to run world on youtube and then all through social outlets amazing and then and then you know all the all the the outlets for buying books, you know, we're, we'll, it'll be everywhere. So perfect. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk again soon. <laughs> Great. Thanks right. Molly. Thanks so much for tuning into the consummate athlete podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 